Well, welcome to Voices of Church Past. I am your, your host, Rob Barnhart. Today I'll be reading from St. Basil again. Our opponents, while they thus artfully and perversely encounter our argument, cannot even have recourse to the plea of ignorance. It is obvious that they are annoyed with us for completing the doxology to the only begotten together with the Father and for not separating the Holy Spirit from the Son. On this account, they style us innovators, revolutionizers, phrase coiners, and every other possible name of insult. But so far am I from being irritated at their abuse that were it not for the fact that their loss causes me heaviness and continuous sorrow, I could almost have said that I was grateful to them for the blasphemy. Still, they were agents for providing me with blessing. For blessed are you, it is said, when men shall revile you for my sake. Matthew 5.11 The grounds of their indignation are these. The Son, according to them, is not together with the Father, but after the Father. Hence it follows that the glory should be ascribed to the Father through him, but not with him. In so much as with him expresses the equality of dignity, while through him denotes subordination. They further assert that the Spirit is not to be ranked among the Father and the Son, but under the Son and with the Father, not coordinated, but subordinated, not conumerated, but subnumerated. With technical terminology of this kind, they pervert the simplicity and alertness of the faith, and thus by in their ingenuity suffer no one else to remain in ignorance. They cut off from themselves the plea that ignorance might demand. Let us first ask them this question. In what sense do they say that the Son is after the Father later in time, or in order, or in a dignity? But in time, no one is so devoid of sense so as to assert that the Maker of ages holds the second place, when no interval intervenes in the natural conjunction of the Father with the Son. And indeed, so far as our conception of human relations goes, it is impossible to think that of the Son being later than the Father, not only from that fact that the Father and the Son are mutually conceived of in accordance with the relationship subsisting between them, but because posterity in time is predicated of subjects separated by a less interval from the present, and priority of subjects further off. For instance, what happened in Noah's time is prior to what happened to the men of Sodom, insomuch as Noah is more remote from our day, and again the events in history of the men of Sodom are posterior because they seem, in a sense, to approach nearer to our own day. But in addition to its being a breach of true religion, is it not really the extremest folly to the measure of the existence of the life which transcends all time and all ages by its distance from the present? Is it not as though God the Father could be compared with and be made superior to God's Son, who exists before all ages precisely in the same way in which things liable to the beginning corruption are described as prior to one another? superior remoteness of the Father is really inconceivable and in that thought and intelligence are wholly impotent to go beyond the generation of the Lord. St. John has admirably confined a conception within the circumcised boundaries by two words. In the beginning was the word, for though thought cannot travel outside was, nor imagination beyond beginning, let your thought travel ever so far backward and cannot go beyond the was, and however you may strain and strive to see what is beyond the sun, you will find it impossible to get further than the beginning. True religion, therefore, thus teaches us to think the sun together with the Father.
they really conceive of a kind of degradation of the son in relation to the father, as though he were in a lower place, so that the father sits above, and the son is thrust off to the next seat below. Let them confess what they mean. We shall have no more to say. A plain statement of the view will at once expose its ex absurdity. They who refuse to allow that the Father pervades all things do not so much as maintain the logical sequence of thought in their argument. Father, uh, the faith of sound that God fills all things, but they who divide their up and down between the Father and Son do not remember even the word of the prophet. If I climb up in heaven, you are there. I go down to hell, you are there also. Now to admit all proof of ignorance of those who predicate place of incorporeal things, what excuse can be found for their attack upon Scripture? Shameless as their antagonism is, the passage is sit on my right hand and sat down at the right hand of the majesty of God. The expression right hand does not, as they contend, indicate the lower place, but equality of relation. It is not understood physically, in which case there might be something sinister about God. The scripture puts before us the magnificence of the dignity of the Son by the use of dignified language indicating the seat of honor. It is left then to, for our opponents to allege what this expression signifies in, of rank. Let them learn that Christ is the power of God and wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians 1 24. He is the image of the invisible God. Colossians 1 15. The brightness of his glory. Hebrews 1 3. And him as God the Father sealed, John 6, 27, by engraving himself on him. Now are we to call these passages and others like them throughout the whole of Holy Scripture proofs of humiliation, or rather pro public proclamations of the majesty of the only begotten, and of equality of his glory with the Father. We ask them to listen to the Lord himself, distinctly setting forth the equal dignity of his glory with the Father. In his words, he that has seen me has seen the Father. John 14, 9. And again, when the Son comes in the glory of his Father, Mark 8, 38. That they should honor the Son even as they honor the Father. John 5, 23. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten Father. John 1, 14. The only begotten God, which is in the bosom of the Father. Of all these passages, they take no account. And then assign to the Son the place set apart for his foes. A Father's bosom is a fit and becoming seat for a son, but the place of a footstool is for them who have been forced to fall. We have only touched cursorily on these proofs because our object is to pass on to other points. You at your leisure can put together the items of the evidence and then contemplate the height of the glory and the preeminence of the power of the only begotten. However, to the well-disposed here, even these are not insignificant unless the terms right hand and bosom be accepted in a physical and derogatory sense so as to at once circumscribe God in local limits to an event form, mold, and bodily position, all of which are totally distinct from the idea of the absolute and infinite and incorporeal. There is, moreover, the fact that what is derogatory in the idea of it is the same in the case of the, both the Father and the Son, so that whoever repeats these arguments does not take away the dignity of the Son, but does incur the charge of blasphemy the Father. Whatever audacity a man may be guilty against the Son, he cannot but transfer to the Father. He assigns to the Father the upper place by way of precedence and asserts that the only begotten Son sits below. He will find that to the creature of his imagination attach all consequent conditions of the body. 
that there be imaginations of drunken delusions and frenzied insanity? Can it be consistent with true religion for men taught by the Lord himself? He that honors not the Son honors not the Father. To refuse to worship and glorify with the Father him who in nature and glory and in dignity is conjoined with him? What shall we say? What just defense shall we have in the day of the awful universal judgment of all creation if when the Lord clearly announces that he will come in the glory of his Father? When Stephen beheld Jesus standing at the right hand of God, in Acts 7.55, when Paul testified in the Spirit concerning Christ that he is at the right hand of the Holy Spirit, I mean, uh, of God, Romans 8.34, the Father says, sit on my right hand, and when the Holy Spirit, the Spirit bears witness that he has sat down on the right hand of the majesty of God, we attempt to degrade him who shares the honor in the throne from his condition of equality to a lower state. Standing and sitting, I apprehend, indicate the fixity and the entire stability of nature. As for Rock, when he wishes to exhibit the immutability and immobility of the divine mode of existence, says, we sit forever and we perish utterly. Moreover, the place on the right hand indicates my judgment, equality of honor. Rash, then, is the attempt to deprive the son of participation in a doxology, as though worthy only to be ranked in the lower place of honor. But their contention is that to use the phrase with him is altogether strange and unusual, while through him is at once most familiar in the Holy Scripture, and very common in the language of the Brotherhood. What is our answer to this? We say, Blessed are the ears that have not heard you, and the hearts that have been kept from the wounds of your word. To you, on the other hand, who are lovers of Christ, I say that the Church recognizes both uses, and depreciates neither as subversive of the other. But whenever we are contemplating the majesty of the nature of the only begotten, and the excellency of his dignity, we bear witness that the glory is with the Father. While on the other hand, whatever we bethink of his bestowal on us of good gifts, and our access to it, and admission into the household of God, we confess that this grace is effected for us through him and by him. It follows that on the one phrase, with whom, is the proper one to be used in description of glory, while the other, through whom, is especially appropriate in giving thanks. It is also quite untrue to allege that the phrase, with whom, is unfamiliar in the usage of the devout. All those whose, of, whose soundness of character leads them to hold the dignity of antiquity to be more honorable than mere newfangled novelty, and we who have preserved the tradition of their fathers unadulterated, like in town and country, have enjoyed this phrase. It is, on the contrary, they who are suffering uh, with the familiar and customary, arrogantly assail the old as stale, who welcome innovation, just in, as in dress your lovers of display always prefer some utter novelty to what is generally worn. So you may even still see that the language of country folk preserves the ancient fashion. Well, of these are cunning experts in language. The language bears the brand of the new philosophy. What are fathers say? Same say we. That the glory of the Father and of the Son is common. Therefore we offer the doxology to the Father with the Son. We do not rest only on the fact that such is the tradition of the fathers, for they too followed the sense of Scripture and started with the evidence which a few sentences back, I deduced from Scripture and laid before you, for the brightness is always thought of with 
the glory, the image with the archetypes. And the Son always and everywhere together with the Father, nor does even the close connection of the names, much less the nature of things, admit When then the Apostle thanks God through Jesus Christ, Romans 1.8, and again says that through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations, Romans 1.5, and through him have access unto his grace, wherein we stand and rejoice, Romans 5.2, he set forth the boons conferred to us by the Son. At one time, making the grace of the good he has passed through from the Father to us. And then another, bringing us to the Father through himself. For by saying, through whom we have received grace and apostleship, Romans 1. He declares the supply of the good gifts to proceed from that source. And again, in saying, through whom we have had access. He sets forth our acceptance as being made of the household of God through Christ. Is then the confession of the grace wrought by him to us or the distraction from his glory, it is, is it not truer to say that the recital of his benefits is a proper argument for glorifying him? Is it, it is on this account that we have not found scripture describing the Lord to us by one name, or even by such terms alone as are, are indicative of his Godhead and majesty. At one time, it is used terms to descriptive of his nature, for it recognizes the name which is above every name. Philippians 2.9 the name of the Son speaks of true Son, and only begotten God, the power of God and wisdom, 1 Corinthians 1.24. And word, then again, on the account of various manners, wherein grace is given to us, which because of the richness of his goodness, according to his manifold, Ephesians 3.10, wisdom, he bestows on them that need. Scripture designates him by innumerable other titles, calling him shepherd, king, physician, bridegroom, way, door, fountain, bread, axe, and rock. These titles do not set forth his nature, but, as I have remarked, a variety of the effectual work in which, out of his tender heartedness to his own creation, according to the peculiar necessity of each, he bestows upon them that need, them that have fled for refuge to his ruling care, and through patient endurance have mended their wayward ways. He calls sheep confesses himself to be to them that hear his voice and refuse to give heed to the strange teaching a shepherd for my sheep he says hear my voice to them that have now reached a higher stage and stand in need of righteous loyalty he is a king and in that that, that through the straight way of his commands he leads men to good actions again because he safely shuts in all who through faith in him who take themselves for shelter to the blessing of the higher wisdom he is a door. So he says to me, if any man enter in, he shall go in and out and shall find pasture. John 10, 9. Again, because to the faithful he is a defense, strong, unshaken, and harder to break than any bulwark, he is a rock. Among these titles, it is when he is styled door or way that the thrace through him is very appropriate and plain. However, God and Son he is glorified with, and together with the Father, in that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, the things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Philippians 2, 10 through 11. Wherefore, we use both terms, expressing by one his own proper dignity, and by the other his grace to us. For through him comes 
every succor to our soul. That is in accordance with each kind of care that an appropriate title has been devised. So when he presents himself, the blameless soul, not having spot or wrinkle, Ephesians 2, 5, 29, like a pure maiden, he call, he is called bridegroom. But whenever he receives one in sore plight from the devil's evil strokes, healing it in the heavy infirmity of its sins, he is named physician. And shall this, his care for us, degrade to meanness our thoughts of him? Oh, on the contrary, shall it smite us with amazement at once that the mighty power and love to man of the Savior, and that he both endured to suffer with us in our infirmities and was able to come down for our weakness. For not heaven and earth and the great seas, not the creatures that live in the water on their dry land, nor plants, stars, air, seasons, not the vast variety and order of the universe, so well sets forth the excellency of his might as that God, being incomprehensible, should have been able, and passably through flesh, to have come into close conflict with death, to the end that by his own suffering he might give us the boon of freedom from suffering. The apostle, it is true, says, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us, Romans 8, 37. But in a phrase of this kind, there is no suggestion of any lowly subordinate ministry, but rather the, of the sufferer, rendered in the power of his might. For he himself has bound the strong man and spoiled good, that is, us men, whom our enemy has abused in every evil activity, and made vessels met for the master's use. Us who have been perfected for every work, through the making ready of that part of us which is in our control. Thus we have had our approach to the Father through him, being translated from the power of darkness to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Colossians 1, 12, We must not, however, regard the economy through the Son as compulsory, subordinate ministration resulting from the low estate of a slave, but rather the voluntary solicitude working effectually for his own creation and the goodness and in pity, according to the will of God the Father. For we shall be consistent with true religion, if in all that was and is from time to time perfected by him, we both bear witness to the perfection of his power. And in no case put it asunder from the Father's will. For instance, whenever the Lord is called the way, we are carried on to a higher meaning, and not to that which is derived from the vulgar sense of the word. We understand by way that advance to perfection, which is made stage by stage, in regular order, through the works of righteousness and the illumination of knowledge, ever longing after what is before, and reaching forth unto those things which remain, until we have reached the blessed end, the knowledge of God, which the Lord through himself bestows on them that have trusted in him. For our Lord is an essentially good way, when erring and straying are unknown, to that which is essentially good to the Father. For no one, he says, comes to the Father but through me. John 14, 6. Such is our way up to God through the Son. It must follow that we should next, in order to point out the character of the provision of blessings bestowed on us by the Father through Him, insomuch as all created nature, both this physical world and all that is conceived of in the mind, cannot hold together without care and providence of God. The greater word the only begotten God, apportion his mercy according to the measure of the needs of each, distributes mercies 
various and manifold on the account of the many kinds and characters of the recipients of the soft bounty, but appropriate to the necessities of individual requirements. Those that are confined in the darkness of ignorance, he enlightens. For this reason, he is the true light. Portioning requital in accordance with the desert of deeds, he judges. For this reason, he is righteous judge. For the Father judges no man, but has committed all judgment to the Son. John 5.22 Those that have lapsed from the lofty height of life into sin have raised us from their fall. For this reason, he is the resurrection. John 11.25 Effectually working by the touch of his power and the will of his goodness, he does all things. He shepherds, he enlightens, he nourishes, he heals. He guides, he raises up and calls into being things which that were not. He upholds what has been created. Thus the good things that come from God reach us through the Son. He works in each case with greater speed than speech can utter. For not lightning, not light's course in the air is so swift, not the eye's sharp turn. Not the movements of our very thoughts. Nay, by the divine energy is each one of these in speed further surpassed than is the slowest of all living creatures outdone in motion by birds, the winds, the rush of heavenly bodies, not to mention these, by our very thought itself. For what extent of time is needed by him who upholds all things by the word of his power? It works not by bodily agency, nor requires the help of hands to form and fashion, but holds in obedience following its unforced consent the nature of all things that are. So as Judah says, you have thought that what things you have determined were ready at hand. On the other hand, lest we should ever be drawn away by the greatness of works, wrought to imagine the Lord is without beginning. What says the self-existent live through by the Father? John 6, 67. The power of God, the Son, has power to do nothing of himself. In the self-complete wisdom, I received the commandment for what I should say and what I should speak. Through all these words, he is guiding us to the knowledge of the Father, referring our wonder at all this that is brought into existence to him, to the end that through him we may know the Father. For the Father is not regarded from the difference of the operations, by the exhibition of a separate and particular energy, for whatsoever things he sees the Father doing, he also does the Son likewise. He enjoys our wonder at all that comes to pass out of the glory which comes to him from the only begotten, rejoicing in the doer himself as well as in the greatness of the deed, and exalted by all who acknowledge him as Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom, by whom, are all things, for whom are all things. Wherefore says the Lord, all, my, all mine are yours. But though the sovereignty over created things were conferred on him, and yours and mine, and as though the creating cause came thence to him, we are not to suppose that he used assistance in his action. Yet what entrusted with the ministry of each individual work detailed commission, a condition distinctly menial and quite inadequate to the divine dignity. Rather, with the word full of his Father's excellencies, he shines forth from the Father and does all things according to the likeness of him that begot him. For if, in essence, he is without variation, so also is he without variation of power. And of those whose power is equal, the operation also is in all ways equal. For Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And so all things are made through him, by him. And all things were created through him and for him. Not in the discharge of any slavish service, but in the fulfillment of the Father's will as creator. 
the way he says, I have not spoken to myself. And again, as the Father said unto me, so I speak. The word which you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. As the Father gave me the command, even so I do. It is not because he lacks deliberate purpose or power of initiation, nor yet because he has to wait for a preconcerted keynote that he employs language this time. He is object is to make it plain that his own will is connected in a union with the Father. Do not then let us stand by what is called a commandment, a preparatory mandate delivered by organs of speech and giving orders to the Son as to a subordinate concerning what he ought to do. Let us rather, in a sense, befitting the Godhead, receive a transmission of will, like the reflex of an object in mirror, passing without note of time from Father to Son. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things, so that all things that the Father has belong to the Son, not gradually doing to him little by little, but with him all together and at once. Among men, the workman who has been thoroughly taught his craft, and through own training, has sure and established experience, is able in accordance with the scientific methods, which now he has in store, to work for the future by himself. And are we to suppose that the wisdom of God, the maker of all creation, he who is eternally perfect, who is wise without a teacher, the power of God, to whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, needs piecemeal instruction to mark out the manner and measure of his operations? I presume that in the vanity of your calculations, you mean to open a school. You will make the one take a seat in the teacher's place and the other stand in the scholar's ignorance gradually learning wisdom and advancing to perfection by lessons given to him bit by bit. Hence, if you have sense to abide what it logically follows, you will find the Son being eternally taught, not yet ever able to reach the end of perfection, insomuch as wisdom of the Father is infinite, and in the end of the infinite is beyond apprehension. It results that whoever refuses to grant that the Son has all things from the beginning will never grant that he will reach perfection. But I am ashamed at the degradation degraded conception to which, by course, the argument, I have been brought down. Let us therefore revert to the loftier themes of our discussion. He that has seen, has seen the Father, is not the express image, nor yet the form, for the divine nature does not admit of combination, but the goodness of the will, which being concurrent with the essence, is held as like and equal, but rather the same, in the Father as in the Son. What then is meant by become subject? but by delivering him up for us all. It is meant that the Son has it of the Father, that he works in the goodness on behalf of men. But you must hear, too, the words, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Give careful heed, too, to the words of the Lord, and note how whenever he instructs us about the Father, he is in the habit of using terms of personal authority, saying, I will be clean. Peace be still, but I say unto you, thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge you. And all other expressions of the same kind, in order that by these we may recognize our master and maker, and by the former may be taught the father of our master and creator. Thus on all sides is demonstrated the true doctrine, that the fact that the father creates through the son neither constitutes the creation of the father imperfect, nor exhibits the active energy of the son as feeble. It indicates the unity of the will, or the expression through whom contains a confession of an antecedent cause and is not adopted in objection to the efficient cause. Well, we're going to leave off there from St. Basil and his argument for 
the true doctrine of the church universal. <clears throat> Thank you so much for listening to Voices of Church Past. I have been your host, Rob Barnhart. May God persevere you steadfast in the one true faith given unto the saints everlasting until we see each other again in the presence of Christ, free from sin and free from death. Perfect unity and true worship of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless.